Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to the last episode of our season. We did it. We really did it. <laughs> the did. last the last episode of the season we've got here. We have. I didn't know that we would when things when we started this season, but I'm delighted to say that we did. Me too, because there's been some awesome conversations. Oh, I've I've really loved this season. Mm. Um I I've loved the deep dives that I've had with people. Um, but I've also loved how um understanding and compassionate and empathetic our like you guys are, the audience, uh, because it has been a bit of a bumpy old few months and you've just shown why our corner of the internet is my favorite corner of the internet. It's Absolutely. just so many awesome people. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for being with us for this season and for all the love and kindness that you put out into the world as well, um, you know, related to my book and to my dad and to the podcast and everything. You guys are awesome. So thank you. So good. And about the book, we enjoy, we're recording this just after the virtual launches we are, of yeah. care that we held over the weekend. It was such a fun time. Wasn't like, it? Like I really didn't, I wasn't like I wasn't looking forward to it, but I felt sorry for you that you couldn't do it in person. And this was like the. Like a, a um, second place prize sort of thing. What's yeah. that What's that term that we're trying to think of? I don't know. <laughs> I want to say runner up. It's not really a runner I up. I know exactly what you mean. But yes, um, it was a bummer to have to cancel and or postpone. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying that with hope, you know, mm. that we'll be able to reschedule. But it was a massive bummer. But this didn't feel like a runner-up prize. I was going to, and I found myself saying that during one of the launches. I'm like, I was going to call this a silver lining, but that's not actually true. No. And I called them, I think, something ridiculous like big glittery joy bombs. Probably. And Sounds something true. like you would say. Yeah. It's true. It was so wonderful to see so many people face-to-face. Um, you know, I got to see, finally, I Zoom met. Katie Hawley, who actually illustrated my book. So to be able to see her on the call was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and everyone who made it, including one of my sisters, <laughs> which was nice. Was so nice. thank you, everyone who who was able to come to one of the virtual launches. Uh, and if anyone who missed it, uh, I do still have a limited number of books available on my website personalized that you can have personalized Mm. and signed yes so if you didn't make it and you would like to get a personalized book you can always head over to slowyourhome.com slash shop and there's uh yeah some copies of care there that i can sign for you and uh some slow and destination simple too excellent this being the last episode of the season we're going to do a good old-fashioned postful let's do it i wanted to start with this question because it's a question you actually got in one of the virtual launch events, mm-hmm. and it's got to do with imposter syndrome. Now, you're going to have to remind me who sent this one to you. It's my mate, Hannah. Hannah. Yeah. Okay. So it is a, a longer message. and I'm going to just write, read it out if that's okay. Hi, Brooke. Re- Hi, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> Re-imposter syndrome. I want to ask every creative person I know this question, especially authors and artists. I suffer so badly from imposter syndrome. Back in my previous role, I wouldn't have called it faking it till you make it. 
And all I wanted to do was ask everyone being all confident around the board table if they were completely faking it too. I feel that even more in a creative field. It always feels as though everyone else is so sure of their work and their abilities, but I don't at all. Do you struggle with this? Does your husband? Do you have strategies to deal with it? And this is probably outside the scope of your podcast, but I thought I'd like I thought I'd take the chance to put it on your list. It's absolutely the right question for today, I think. Oh, totally. And like I never answer these questions briefly, ever. Never once have I. No. Even when you've promised that I would. Yeah. Yeah. But I can answer this one really briefly. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Terribly. Mm. Cripplingly. So uh, I think that that this lack of self-confidence and this, you know, belief that I'm unqualified and undeserving of, you know, a seat at the table, whatever the table is, has been so crippling to my career. Like, I think that I have missed so many opportunities because of it. I think that I have uh, allowed myself to be convinced that, you know, I'm no good. My work's no good. It has no place in like the big adult world. (laughs) Um, And I believed it for the longest time and most days still do. I did make some headway, I think, with writing care because I very intentionally tried to um, put aside the idea of good versus bad in terms of output when I was writing the first draft or two and just wrote. Mm. I just really actively tried to not cast judgment on what I was writing. And I failed at that most of the time, but I was able to make some headway. Uh, And, you know, writing the poetry that's in care, that was never part of the plan. Like I was never going to include that in the book. And it wasn't until I reflected back on so many of the pillars, I suppose, of the book that are, you know, let go of what we think things should look like and instead focus on how they feel or what they, you know, encourage us to investigate. And I did that. And the poems stayed and they stayed and then I was, you know, I was convinced that they would be removed at some point, but they kept staying and staying and then the book got published and it was too late. (laughs) The amount of of conversations we had about those poems was extraordinary. I think that's my fondest memory. That's my (laughs) most outstanding memory of of you writing the book is, is coming to me and asking my opinion on those poems. More so than the the content of the the actual chapters and the yeah. themes itself, because yeah. you I think you were so proven with those nine core themes. You knew exactly what they were going to be, and you knew what they looked like, and you knew practically how they would practically how they will help people. Mm. But I think the poetry is just it was a, it was more the creative side of you, right? Yeah. And do you think the more creative you get, the more you're likely to have imposter syndrome? No, I've had it the whole time. Really? I, so I, it doesn't matter what it is? No. Oh, my goodness, no. Like right. So when, when Slow came out uh, or even when I self-published Destination Simple way back in the day, I was absolutely beside myself at the thought of my work being critiqued or judged or read or consumed or, you know, mm. paid attention to because I... At no point was I convinced that 
or even remotely confident that it had a place, which of course the follow-on question is, well, why did you do it? And I don't have an answer for that other than I felt driven to. Like I felt this very strong call to write and that's why I started my blog. That's why like I was a, you know, an angsty teen poet back in the day too because I just felt compelled to write. I didn't know what I was going to do with it and that's when I started my blog. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I had no idea that it would resonate with anyone. I had no idea that there would be an audience. And as an audience started to grow, you'd think that that would be validation. And it wasn't like still to this day, people say nice things about my work and I don't believe them. Like I wish I did. Mm. And I'm working really hard this year on at least allowing myself to feel it. And that helps, you know, when people say something nice about my work, I just allow myself to feel what they're saying, even if I don't necessarily um, believe it on that deeper level. So that's kind of what my process of reducing the noise of imposter syndrome looks like. Um, I did read something though recently, and I'm I can't remember the exact wording, but it was essentially about how this woman was going to stop using the phrase imposter syndrome. And she said, I'm going to stop using it because essentially it is not imposter syndrome that's putting it on us as individuals. She said the vast majority of people who she speaks to who, who suffer from imposter syndrome are women um, or people from, you know, underrepresented groups. And she said, that's not imposter syndrome. That's being gaslit your entire career. And I really felt that because I think that my imposter syndrome for ease, I'll keep using that, started way back, like way, way back at the beginning of my very bumpy and dodgy career where as a young woman, I was put in many different boxes, none of them that had space for potential. And I was made to see without question that that's where I belonged. You know, I had a job for a couple of years with a company had a very male-dominated workforce, but more so, you know, the stakeholders that I'd meet and the business meetings that I'd attend. And, like, the intimation that I was only there because I was a young woman um, that looked nice next to my boss. And, you know, it's been – like, so there's been hundreds of tiny micro, um, you know, experiences that add up to me not believing in myself and my value and my words – and I could talk about that forever, but I just think that that's an important part Mm. of unpacking our own imposter syndrome um, and seeing perhaps it's not just us not believing in ourselves. It's like, why aren't we, why aren't we encouraged to have confidence in ourselves through the way we interact with other people, through the way, you know, people talk to young girls or, you know, Mm. yeah, I just think that it's a little bit like my, rallying against self-care, you know, Mm. self-care makes it your problem. You're broken, you fix it. And I think imposter syndrome does a similar number on our brains saying, you know, you're the one who doesn't believe in yourself, you fix it. Well, maybe the reason we don't is because we haven't had those experiences that teach us anything different Mm. Um, or they're certainly outweighed. So it's a very detrimental 
thing to have to grapple with and I'm right there with you. What's the solution? I don't know. Like support each other. Mm. Recognize that probably the vast majority of people you do know in creative industries, probably in all work, um, but specifically you asked about creative work, I'd suggest that all of them suffer from this feeling of not being good enough. So, you know, if you can walk into a conversation knowing that as the baseline, then that is an opportunity for us to support each other, to validate each other, to share how, you know, our work, your work makes us feel and build each other up that way. Mm. You know, I feel like that's a much more positive, compassionate, other like collective way of bringing the floor up on, on the worst of imposter syndrome, maybe. Yeah, I had some thoughts about that. You definitely had some thoughts and they're really good thoughts. Were they? I really liked it. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I learned. Sorry, I just, <laughs> you're like, they're oh, good yeah, thoughts and I'm like, were yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. They were. The inner voice. I might have a really naive way of thinking about imposter syndrome and do I have it? I don't think I do because I don't think I'm brave enough and hear me out here because I think a lot of people with that acknowledgement of imposter syndrome are brave people because they're actually putting themselves in uncomfortable Hmm. positions and hard positions and difficult positions and positions that they're unsure of. But I think if we don't put ourselves in those positions, A, we're not likely to learn we're not likely to grow as people, but also it's it's interesting because I think a lot of creative, I think hits the nail on the head. The, the question is around like creative people and asking creative people, because I think there's this perception that being in the arts or, or being in the, in that creation industry is easy work. Yeah. Okay. It, it, as in, you know, like it's not, you're not, saving the planet you're not saving people you know what i mean like i'm sure yeah uh, it's not like quantitative you know exactly like no it's kpis like you throw some throw some paint on a canvas like how hard can it be that right. sort of thing again very naive i'm talking very in a very naive way and but are you saying that you think that no this no. is what i'm i'm trying to get at and that people society i should say yeah. are like well you know it's a how hard can it be right and easy to judge there's a lot of critics within the. I don't think there's know. a lot of critics in, within creative industries. I think, as a, someone who creates things, you typically are putting them. If you're doing it as a job, um, you're putting them out for some kind of judgment or consumption or you know critique, whether that's mm. something that you absorb or not. Like you're putting it out there to buy or you know for mm. shareability or yeah. for a cut through or whatever. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily the people within the industries. I think it's, um, as you say, maybe but people like, who think about like with... an art critic, sure, or like a crit, a drama, you know, a critic in a newspaper, theater critic a theatre yeah. critic, like you know, like critic. have it in their title. Imagine like a business critic in a newspaper. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's sure. sort of like I think it's just like the industry set up for that harshness and that I think it, 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 to a certain extent it encourages. Imposter syndrome. Um, 
Yeah, so as a as a as a brand, I hate I hate the words imposter syndrome. I hate what they do to people. I hate how they make them feel. But I truly think that it without breaking it down too much, I think that people with imposter syndrome are incredibly brave people because they're actually putting themselves out there in those uncomfortable mm. positions. Yeah, I understand. I do understand what you're saying. Um and I I mean I I like the idea that you experience that kind of crippling self-doubt when you're doing something that mm. is pushing you beyond your boundaries. I do like that idea. And that might be a way of reframing it a little bit. And I'm feeling this self-doubt because I am doing something new and uncomfortable. Mm. Are there any other areas that you get imposter syndrome or is it more to do with your work job? No, I have it in virtually everything. In every capacity, that self-doubt, that lack of confidence, that, you know, really shitty self-esteem, that's something that I've had for a long, long time. And obviously, um, at least since I was a teenager, at least. Mm. Yeah. Uh, And Is it getting worse or is it getting better? I think I understand it more now. Yeah. I think I, I recognize that there are things that I can do to help develop slightly healthier self-esteem and honestly that's so much of what I learned from writing care was that so many of those tiny acts of connection or kindness or play or you know shared experience with someone Mm. those things are all capable of helping to develop healthier self-esteem and you know I've I think I've really run with that and recognize that, you know, the way we show up in our days, even in the most minuscule of ways, is the way we build who we are as people. Like we are what we do, you know, and if I walk around feeling like I have no place here, I have no, you know, no right to take up space, Mm. no right to, you know, charge for, you know, my work, whatever that manifests as, then that's the way I'm going to feel. But if I, you know, I spend every day thinking in those tiny pockets, what's one small way I can, you know, engage? What's one thing that I can do and then go, yeah, well done, me. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. It's like developing that awareness that the way we speak to ourselves and the way we we view the things that we do as important, I think that is a, a real kind of shift that the book has created in me unexpectedly mm. yeah but no so um i i answered short and then i answered long. elaborate yeah exactly yeah. uh and you're certainly not alone Hannah. like uh, and can i just say that your work is phenomenal yeah. it is so beautiful and i think that if anyone listening has any interest in incredible handmade woven art um, you should check out Hannah's work. She's at Sunday Woven on Instagram. So go and check it out because she's a, she's a gem. She really is. All right, let's downshift into a couple of quick fire questions. Oh, yes, my well, specialty. You know, <laughs> they might be short questions, but normal length answers. Let's combine these two. What's a usual dinner for you? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite cookbook at the moment? Ooh, okay. 
Well, a usual, you and I have just done our whip for the week, right? Yeah. And when we do our whip, which is our work in progress meeting for the week, mm-hmm. where we sit down and look at each other's movements and appointments and all that kind of stuff, we also do our meal plan for the week. So we've got on the menu this week, um, and we have kind of a mixed mixed needs family in terms of <laughs> meat consumption. So I'm vego. You and um, you and the kids eat meat, but our daughter is hardcore carnivore. Yeah, well, and you no, but you and do you, eat meat. And uh, yeah, our daughter's sort of she's in between. She's like, I just want to cut back on the number yeah. of meat meals that she has during the week, and she has. She probably only has it a couple of times a week. Mm. Um, and I'm happy for her to do whatever mm. feels right for her. But tonight we're having roast pumpkin risotto. Yeah, multiple vegetable risotto, I yeah. call it. There's a lot of stuff multiple in it. Multiple vegetable Multiple mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> that's a Jamie Oliver special. Um, it's a really tasty risotto. And then we've got a satay night, so you guys will have satay chicken and I'll have satay tempeh. You're mad for tempeh. I I eat, I'll eat like a block of tempeh a week. Yeah, at least. Just yeah, raw, it, just smashed it. Raw, did you say? Yeah. Yuck. Is tempeh smoked? Is that what it is before you? It's or fermented. Do you, it's fermented. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I will. Yeah, I make a a double batch at the same time, and it's really no extra work to mm. be able to make the chicken and the yeah. veggie one. Uh, and usually, I make a double batch of both and freeze them. So it's like a Malaysian satay recipe that we just get on the internet. It's actually like from planning with kids, Nicole Avery. Oh, is it? Okay. Nicole yeah. I was going to say. Blog. We're, we're less into cookbooks. Well, I, I've got a few that I will mention, but we're. We sort of just look at the internet sometimes, don't we? Yeah, I had a I had a big collection of cookbooks before we went to Canada. You did, and um, you don't know what happened to I them. I don't know what happened to them. Either they got given away accidentally, or we lent them to people and we haven't got the back. I don't know. Mm. Um, so we we are building our cookbook repertoire again, but it is taking a bit of time, and I don't like buying them just for one or two recipes. I know, I know. So we do have the um, Cornersmith Use It All uh, cookbook which is really helpful in minimizing waste and like clever ways of um, adopting your meal plan to make sure that you really have no waste at the end of the week. So in light of that, we then have leftover night on Thursdays and Fridays we do like a homemade pizza. And that's actually the best pizza base that I have come across and that's an internet recipe and I will link to that because I think if you're someone who can eat gluten <laughs> and who likes pizza, it is dynamite. It's such a good base. I'm so yep. I'm already hungry for it and it's Monday. Um, for me, on the weekends, I like to cook and normally that's slow cooking. So love to barbecue, slow barbecue over a just a fire and I use a lot of Franklin barbecue recipes and you can there'd be links in the show notes for the You've got two of his books. So but I think it's Franklin barbecue and Franklin steaks I think are the two books that I religiously look at and follow. I think they're great. He's just outstanding. I also make a lot of David Chang You do meals. So whenever I do like a I don't know, like a braised pork or, or something like that, ginger, pork, shallots, that sort of thing. That's where I I will gravitate to. And I just I I just 
follow his recipes off Instagram. Yeah, he's, he's got really, like rinse the Instagram stories, and I just follow those. He's very liberal with sharing his recipes, so actually, which is awesome. So yeah, so they're the two. I don't know personalities that I keep coming back to. Yeah, I mean, I always go Jamie Oliver because I like it's flavorful. It's mm. it's simple. easy. That's like perfect midweek meal exactly. sort of stuff. And yeah. then you know, I'll take a recipe that I picked up years ago and just riff on that over and over and over again in different ways. So we have a green pasta that we have probably once every two or three weeks. Yep. And it's great because you can fit a whole heap of veggies in there. It's super tasty. Um, it comes together in 20 minutes as long as it takes to boil the water and cook the pasta basically. And it's usually got zucchini and mushrooms and olives and, you know, broccoli or spinach or whatever we've got on hand. And that's something that you can adapt based on what's in season yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm big on adaptable recipes, I think, mm. and things that I can cook up a big batch of and freeze half. Yeah. Huge on that. Yeah. Because I know that future us will be grateful. <laughs> when will your book be released in Canada? Oh, I wish I had an answer. I really do. I don't know. It's proving very, very, very difficult to get care picked up by international publishers. And I don't know why, uh, whether it's COVID having decimated the industry or whether it's just the book. It's not kind of, I don't know. I, mm. It's frustrating because I feel like it has a real timeliness, you know. Definitely. definitely. So what I have done, you, you can't buy it in bookshops anywhere other than Australia and New Zealand at the moment and Germany, hopefully within six months. But what I have done is made the book available for shipping, worldwide shipping from our website. Uh, so again, like I mentioned earlier, slowyourhome.com slash shop and you can pick up a copy and it's a $10 flat rate international shipping charge for everyone. So you can get it that way. Um, you can also buy it on Book Depository, who will, who will ship it um, anywhere in the world too. So I wish I had an answer to that question about a release date, but you can still get a copy. Yeah, yeah. it's available. And uh, fingers crossed that it will oh. be released in North America because one and day we would love to go back there. And, Absolutely. And yep. the UK, yeah. Uh, best non-alcoholic beer, please. Ooh, Yes. So there is a brand, an Australian brand called Sober, S-O-B-A-H, and they're based up in Queensland. Uh, and their beer, their craft beer is hands down the best non-alcoholic beer I have ever tasted, ever, ever, ever. They've got maybe six or seven different varieties and they do have seasonal varieties. Um, but my favorites are probably the um, Davidson Plum Sour Ale, which is delicious, absolutely delicious and fresh and light. And their IPA, they've got a pepperberry IPA. So they use a lot of um, indigenous ingredients in their um, recipes. They have a aniseed myrtle stout. Which is just full on. It is. It's, it's like delicious the, though. Like the, you can have. The, the, this, when you crack that. It just the smell like it's oh it's like syrup it's mm. it's uh it's like a I liken it to the extra stout from Cooper's like it's that thick and yeah, syrupy it's, yeah it's, it's heavy. heavy it's, it's heavy. really it yeah. is heavy 
um, but delicious. And they're all zero alcohol. Mm. So I haven't had a drink, like an alcoholic drink since the day that the US election was. Um, Back in November. November last year. Mm. Yeah. The day that that was finalized was the last drink I had. Mm. Um, and it was like, let's see what happens if I don't drink over Christmas. And like, oh, I didn't miss it at all. <laughs> I quite like the ritual of having a drink. Um, but. I really like the feeling of that drink not being alcoholic. My brain is much, much happier. My God. Yeah. That's, that may be another conversation for another podcast episode. But I think so. I think yeah, we should get into Yeah, I think there's that. a lot of people who are very curious about um, yeah. cutting down or, or reframing their relationship with alcohol. Yeah. And I think that the last year has really brought that to the fore. So what I will say in terms of the question about beer as well, um, I've heard that heaps normal. Beer is brilliant. And Upflow is another brand okay. that I, f- I think is a really good non-alcoholic brand. I don't know. International-wise, yeah. I have no idea. But no. I think these are only available domestically. I but think I, so. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, I know sober ships around the country. Yeah. So you can order a case and they'll ship it to your door, which is awesome. Um, yeah. But I'd like to try heaps normal. It's just finding places that stock them, you mm. know, is, is the challenge. Well, I think we just go. You just go straight to the brewery and you know buy a couple of slabs, doll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's do that because I I said last year or the year before I had one month where I didn't drink alcohol. Last year was two months. This year it's three months, yes. and I've only done one month so far. Yeah. So I need to next month will be a a non-alcoholic, and then it'll you know in eleven years' time. I won't be drinking. Right. <laughs> it's called tapering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A um, couple of questions uh, just around getting stuff done and feeling lethargic and, mm. you know, stuck in mug type feeling. But And also a question here about daily rhythms because I thought they both go quite well together um, and a, a specific question around cleaning rhythms that we've been experimenting with. Did you want to try and? Combine those two? Yeah, sure. I do find that that revisiting um, rhythms can help when you're feeling that sluggish kind of stuck in mud feeling. Uh, but also it's okay to be feeling like that at the moment. I mean, there is so much, so much going on globally and there's only so much energy that we can, you know, put out into the world. So if you add up everything that's happening, you know, collectively, if you're in Australia, if you're elsewhere uh, over the last 18 months, that has taken a massive toll on people emotionally. And I think that that is so often coming out in that feeling of lethargy. So it's like, allow yourself to be understood in that, you know, Um, and be, and show yourself some compassion, first of all, which, I mean, I'm saying the words, I know doing it is much harder uh, because I'm, personally struggle with that too but when I manage to listen to myself when I'm like Mm. it's okay that you feel like this at the moment it does help because it really is okay Uh, but in saying that ways to to shake it up or to maybe bring a little bit of a different energy into it could be to settle into a period of experimenting maybe with rhythms like I think that actually, you know what? I'm going to answer these separately. So I've got go on. Right. Answer them separately. I will. 
my one steadfast, always helpful um, approach when I'm feeling that horrible, muddy kind of feeling is rest if you need to, because you're allowed to, and then go really small with what you feel like you need to do. And if that means sitting down and doing a brain dump first of like all the stuff that's on your mind, all the things that you're waking up at three o'clock thinking about, all the things that are weighing on your shoulders, put them all down and don't think that any of them are too big or too small. Just put them all down and get them out of your head on a piece of paper. And that then puts you in a position to make a start. And making a start can look like setting a timer for five minutes and working on one of those things, whatever they might be. You know, if you feel like the house has gotten on top of you, set a time of five minutes and say, I'm just going to spend those five minutes packing away the kitchen, or I'm going to spend those five minutes getting the kids to help put away the biggest of their toys that are on the floor, you know, and really break it down to something small because you can't, you, there's no downside to that. Five minutes is achievable. Uh, and at the end of those five minutes, you will have done something that you wouldn't have done otherwise. And that might lead you to feel momentum and you're like, all right, I can go for another five minutes. What else can I do? Or let me finish this job. And even if you don't, you're still in a position that's, you know, improved on the, the, the position you were in five minutes ago. So I think that if you're really stuck and really lethargic, go as small as possible and just say, well, what's the next thing I can do? Um, I find that helps. And that's something that I come back to over and over again uh, in really any kind of question, you know, it, mm. and I mentioned rest first. I, I do the same thing with rest. Like, can I do five minutes of laying on the lounge, looking out the window? Yes, I can. I can do that. I can't go and have a sleep for two hours, but can I do that? You know, can I take 30 extra seconds when I've hung out the laundry to go and have a look at the flowers that are starting to bloom? Can I do that? Yes, I can do that. Um, and allow yourself to recognize that that does make a difference. Don't convince yourself that it doesn't because it does. Um, and then the second part of the question or the, the second question about rhythms we're in a weird spot. We're in a bit of a flux state with everything at home. You know, life has been very up in the air for us the last 10, 12 weeks. Especially with you being away, I think, with yeah. your dad. Yeah. So you just did what you absolutely had to do. To do. And, you and did maybe it. I'm still in that mindset, so I apologize if no, I haven't cleaned yeah. properly. Please don't apologize. You held yeah. down the fort for like 10 weeks. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm now back. At home, we can no longer see dad. He's still in the ICU, by the way, um, but improving incredibly quickly mm. now. So he's blown all of our minds. Uh, but because of lockdown in New South Wales, I can't see him. Mm. No one can see him in the hospital. Um, so that means, I suppose, the silver lining is that I'm home and able to spend a bit more head time figuring out what gaps we've got at mm. the moment. Mm. So that sort of really, for me, looked a lot like uh, stopping and paying attention. You know, like can you pay if, when you pay attention to those pain points, like those things that really start to stress you out, why is it stressing me out? You know, why is the fact that the towels didn't get put out for laundry today stressing me out? You know, unpack that. And then kind of start to see where your priorities are, where your energy has shifted. And if there's something that you need to shift in terms of, you know, your weekly rhythm, 
that might be a good place to begin. Mm. And then I think like grabbing a piece of paper and a pen and sitting down and maybe revisiting any work that you've done around your own rhythms to see if they still work for you or not. So that, again, going back to the brain dump idea, like make a list of everything that you feel like you need to do or you want to get done of a morning or of an evening or throughout the week and kind of spend a minute reflecting on whether or not that's where your time and energy is going. Do a bit of an audit maybe of of where your time and energy is going and whether there's gaps there. And if there are, then, you know, again, start small. I think there was a part of the question asking what's working for us at the moment. Yeah. 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 I think being really gentle (laughs) with ourselves is working at the moment and doing a little bit every day. I think we fell into a bit of a rhythm, you and I, where we would like we'd spend most of a day doing all the cleaning. Yeah, or an afternoon. I remember the Friday afternoons was a yeah. was a good one for cleaning. And I don't think that's working for us anymore. It's not right for, now. No, yeah. for from an energy point of view, but also yeah. from a, like a, an enjoyment of life point of view. I don't want to be spending my Friday afternoons cleaning the toilets. I'm happy to clean the toilets, but I'm not going to do it on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. So, you know, splitting stuff up. Yeah. Yeah, we're, 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 it's much more bite size. Definitely bite size rather than like bang, it's yeah. over. And um, that kind of means that nothing ever gets to a point of catastrophic yeah. condition. But it also means we don't have that that feeling on a Saturday morning where we're like, don't have any cleaning to do. I we know. don't have that. And that, that's fine. Yeah. It's, that's a good feeling though. It is a good feeling, but it's not worth my Friday afternoons. Mm. I've got a confession to make. Mm. Cleaning uh, bathrooms and kitchens and toilets and stuff like that, it doesn't feel as good cleaning with vinegar as it does with chemicals. Okay. Do you know what, like, do you know what I mean? And not, and look, I didn't, I don't think I've ever really cleaned with chemicals before. Years and years ago, you did the majority, if not 100% of the cleaning. Mm-hmm. Now that's shifted. Definitely And shifted. the way it should have, and it has. But do you get do you ever get that like that sense of like my nostril hairs are on fire things must be clean no nope. okay just <laughs> me then I think it's you conditioned to think that yeah I know I know you know like marketing ads that sort of stuff will show you that look how much this soap scum comes I, off with I don't just miss, one wipe yeah I don't miss that smell like the the artificial smell it's more the burning smell. There's something very wrong with you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I actually get an immense amount of satisfaction yeah. in seeing how clean things are with just like vinegar and soapy water. Yeah, I do as well. I think that's it, it's awesome. Like I, I'll never go back. Don't get me wrong, but I just well, not while you're living with me. You <laughs> <laughs> is it bleach? Is that what I'm missing? The bleach? Maybe. How bad is bleach? Terrible. Is it terrible? Yeah. 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 Like, look, I get it. I've used it. And there's going to be times where, you know, if particularly if you're someone who is just wanting to transition into green cleaning, mm. it's much easier to start from a place of like as clean as possible. Mm. So if you've got some leftover bleach or whatever and you give your bathroom one last <clears throat> really deep, clean, nostril burning kind of clean, and then you transition into green products, so like vinegar and soap and bicarb it's going to set you up for success to have like baseline clean 
before you start with. Ah, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, so is there ever? Do you use bleach anymore? No, I don't. I haven't no. bought it for for many years. Will there be a time where you will need to use it? And if so, can I use it? <laughs> I don't think there will be a time because there are other options. <laughs> Addicted to bleach. Very strange. Very strange hill to die on. But okay, go off. Um, uh, no, wow. I don't think so because the only time that I would ever potentially think about like using something like that would be if there was really big mold problem or right. um, so if you move into a house with mold problem or if you've developed one over time like with an older okay. bathroom or a crappy, you know, bit of yeah. whatever that stuff is, the, you know, the sealant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are other products that you can use that will have a very similar effect, like hydrogen peroxide, I think. Okay. Which um, I've never used. But I have I th- on my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the days. Yeah, so no, I don't think that there is, but I'm certainly not casting any side eyes at people who do because it is effective Yeah, and there would be many instances where like the it's needed. You've yeah. got to weigh up. Yeah. Do I use bleach yeah. or do I live with mold? Mold. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's like that's a very fair um a fair compromise. So. Okay. All right. Um I'd love to know if you had an absolute favorite place on our planet. Mm. I have many favorite places, which really does dilute the word favorite, but do you think more the more you travel the more favorite the yeah. The more you have, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, just places that I, I leave a little bit of my soul in, I guess, my hmm. heart. Uh, but w- the first place that came to mind is the Yukon in Canada, up north. Nice. That was yep. phenomenal up there, and I think about it all the time. We're watching a show at the moment called Alone. Hmm. We're late to the party. A lot of people probably have watched many, many seasons, but we're I think we're almost caught up now. <clears throat> and so the premise is... 10 people are dropped in a very remote area with nothing but 10 essential items like an axe or a saw and a tarp, fishing line and all that sort of stuff. And they've got to survive. And you just, you're out there surviving. You can fish, hunt. You can hunt, yeah. You've got to build your shelter. You've got to collect water. All that, like, just crazy, crazy. And we are, we're, and most of the series, so far have been filmed in Canada. Yes. And British Columbia. Yeah, Vancouver Island for like three seasons. And, and now they're up north of uh, BC. In the, the Northwest Territories. Yeah, somewhere like that up near the Yukon. But the imagery and just mm. the the fauna and the flora, like it's it's all there. Like we just we just go back to it. And yeah. I've never wanted more just to be there, I think. It's yeah. amazing, amazing. Just area. on that, um, I'm curious how you feel about travel. Now that, I mean, we've been, essentially Australia's borders have been closed for 18 months. So travel has not been on the cards and probably isn't for another while. months, yeah. yeah. Depending on what it all looks like. Um, I found myself really conflicted during the first sort of six months of COVID because I'm like, this is the opportunity for people to break out of their obsession especially australians obsession with travel international travel right and i'm like that's a win for the planet because the airline industry is a huge polluter and when you 
get on a plane, you're part of it. But I'm someone who loves travel. Like I really, it fills up a part of me that I don't know of anything else that can. Mm. Which is a very fortunate thing to be able to even say. But like, where do you land with that? Because I'm still conflicted. Mm. Tra- uh, travel has been part of our identity for so long. And mm. it's a, like a goal that we've always worked towards is where we're going to go and discover next or go back to. So I, I totally get it. Uh, I don't know what the solution is. I quite liked and I maybe you were the one that mentioned it first, is that you get a limited number of kilometres that you can travel per year on an aeroplane. Yeah, it was something I, I feel like that? was like floated a, in the UK. and You, you get know, a quota. Everyone gets um, one international flight a year that's like tax-free. Well, yeah, just normal. Yeah. But then you anything above that and you get smashed with tax. And it's on a sliding scale. So yeah. if you're someone who flies 100 times a year for work, then that 100th flight is going to be cost you at an astronomical kind of yeah. level. And that's where I think maybe the shift and the shift will come is that like we've proven that most meetings that people would get on a plane for do not need to be face to face. We can use Zoom to great effect. I know it's not the same, but there are massive benefits to that. Obviously the airline industry will be wanting that to not happen. <laughs> they want people back on planes. You know, so I guess we're back where we always land. I think the travel industry needed a shake up and I think COVID has done that. A lot of the third parties or the middlemen their business models haven't survived. Mm. Or not likely to survive. Mm. So I think that's a good thing. How sustainable it is for air like airlines to sort of instigate that travel quota kilometer thing. I don't know whether that'll work, but I like the sound of it and something like that would be great because I'd I would really miss not being able to travel long term. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've missed it enormously. Yeah. Um because I am, I am really curious about. So Yukon for like. you, and I guess for me, it is anywhere with mountains. Mm. Yeah, I love and just love the culture and that landscape. Um, dear Ben, in Series Eight, would it it would be great to have a deep dive with you on your current slow life? Okay, noted. Right. Episode next season, we'll do a chat with Ben. Yeah, remember the interview we did with you when we were in. Yeah, I do. We'll do part two for that. Yeah. All right. As a puppy mum, I want to hear more about your dogs. Who are they? (laughs) What are they like? They are Cash and Joey and they are funny, funny dogs. They really are. So Cash is a Cavalier King Charles. He's a Cavalier. um, Spaniel. No. Cross with a Maltese. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah so he's multi a Maltelier apparently. Yeah, that's right. And he is like ten, I think. He's maybe not quite ten. We've been nine. saying that he's he about is, nine, I think. We've been saying that he's the same age for about five years. Yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he is maybe nine now. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit younger nine. than our son. Yeah. So, and then we've got Joey, who um, we adopted l- 2019. And he is um, apparently a pug crossed with a beagle, so a puggle. Um, Not a lot of pug in him (laughs) except Mm -hmm. his curly tail. 
he's um a lot of beagle. Yeah, a lot of temperament like a beagle. He's one of the most stubborn dogs that I have ever come across, and so food driven. So you'd think that he would be easy to train because he's so food driven, but he's, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, really challenging. Uh, not as much as he was, but he mm. was very, very challenging um, in his behavior when he first came to live with us. But at the same time, he is loyal to a fault. Like he is the most loyal, devoted dog, mm. particularly to our daughter. Um, you and I, she was at a friend's house a couple of weeks ago and she'd been there for a couple of hours and you and I took the dogs for a walk and we walked, happened to walk past this friend's house and Joey stopped maybe 10 meters from the house and stood dead still and his nose started going crazy and then he started whining at the front of, of her friend's That's house. Crazy. And he knew she was there. Yeah. And he's like, but I'm not leaving without my person. Yeah. So he's hilarious and, you know. Challenging. Challenging, challenging to walk because he is so strong, gets so slow and sniffs and just does what he wants to do. The beagle in him. So, yeah. yeah. We're exploring different options in terms of like harnesses and stuff. Yeah. We've got, yeah. we've tried lots of different options and, we're, you know, we're learning about him. He's still a young one, really. I just wish he'd just relax. And... <laughs> There's just so much to smell and do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where Cash, our first dog, is a little bit older now, relaxed, chill, easy to walk. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's quite a nice. Is it, but he's like a house dog. He's yeah, a lab very dog. much, very much a house dog. Where Joey's just a bit more energetic. They do kind of clash at night when Joey's got so much energy. He kind of nips at Cash, and they they do they kind play of fight. a little rumble, mm. um, which is funny to watch. And <laughs> um, but Ka- but Joey's so cheeky. Like he'd go in. He just wants attention all the time. So he'd go into the kids' rooms and grab like a toy and bring it out and go game on yeah. try and catch me yeah and he knows that they'll chase him yeah and yeah so he's he's smart yeah <laughs> he's smart too smart for our good but that's it someone else i think asked whether we have any other pets at that's this right. stage and we yeah. don't no. i am allergic to cats um and the plan was always to bring some chickens into the yard but i honestly don't know how that would go with joey to be to be blunt um so until we can come up with a bit of a, a very well-engineered chicken coop solution, yeah, we will hold off on that. But yeah. I'd love, 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 love to to bring some chooks home. Joey's got a bit of history with chickens. Mm, our neighbours' chickens. All right. Um, Favourite lockdown playlist? I am having a moment with music. Oh. In that I'm finding it very difficult to listen to anything new. And I think that's a like an anxiety response, comfort thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like I find myself rewatching the same movies and TV shows over and over again. And I think that's just because there's been so many moving pieces and different things going on in our lives the last three months. I can't come at the idea of anything new, so I don't have much new stuff. But I do like I do have a lot of playlists of my own that fit certain moods. Like I've got one that I clean to <laughs> and it's all, you know, boppy, fun music. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got one that I write to. I've got several that I write to and I've rediscovered old ones. So what I'm listening to at the moment a lot when I'm writing is um, Band of Horses. 
Uh, classic. All their albums back to back. Yeah. And that makes me really happy. Yeah. And I've got a Canadian playlist that I love. And obviously it features uh, Shred Kelly and um, the Rural Alberta Advantage and yeah, a whole heap of really cool Canadian bands too. What about you? Oh, playlists. Um, I'm just trying to think. I'm listening to a lot of podcasts at the moment. So whenever... I'm in that frame of mind. I'm I'm listening to podcasts. What instead. do you listen to? Um, I guess comedy, bang bang, freedom. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there's a the... lot of like earwolf podcasts that I listen mm. to. Um, that I would. I've only recently got into um, a podcast called "How Did This Get Played." Which is about like video history of video games yeah, okay. and bad video so games. So that's the guys who did How Did This Get Made, right? It it's not the same guys, oh, but okay. it's it's the same production company. Okay. So they can riff on that title. Okay. So that's the yeah, that's because Paul Shear and yeah, Jason Menzukis and June Diane Raphael. Yeah, okay. Raphael does that. Another one I'm listening to is Stay F. Homekins, which is a podcast with Paul F. Tompkins and his wife Jamie Haddad. Um Doughboys. This is like a weird one for me. They just review fast food restaurants. Pretty funny though. Um, and a, a little podcast called The Slow Home Podcast. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I'm listening to um, Shattered Glass, which is Kristen Bell and Monica Padman. So they produce that under the armchair umbrella. Armchair umbrella? expert umbrella. <laughs> it's kind of like... Uh, it's got the umbrella in the yeah the name. Yeah. Anyway, I'm listening to that, which is quite good. Yeah. Um, the conversation they had with Oprah was really good. Mm. I enjoyed it a lot. And then I'm listening to a whole heap of audiobooks. Yeah. So when I was particularly when I was driving between home and the hospital a lot, that sort of you know two hours each way was spent listening to yeah to audiobooks. I think I've already mentioned the highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. I'm now listening to the highly sensitive parent, which mm-hmm. is really good. Um, and I'm mixing up my audiobooks a and lot. The highly sensitive dog is next. Okay. <laughs> oh, um. So much in that side. Yeah. And I'm listening to um, The Body Keeps the Score, actually, and I have been listening to that for months, and I'm finding it very, very, very helpful and insightful but very, 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 very heavy. Mm. So I'm breaking it up a lot Mm. with other things, Um, namely like Jack Johnson music and things that make me feel nice and light because I'm finding that that pretty full on. Uh, And the other one that I've just started listening to is called Think Again by Adam Grant. Yeah, we're listening to so many podcasts. Maybe we need to listen to more music. So I think if anyone's got any recommendations of our kind of music. What's our kind Send of music? It out. Well, you mentioned <laughs> Canadian bands. Sure. Uh, Band of Horses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that alt. But then I also have a very soft, big soft spot for like 90s dance music. And, you know, when I run, that's what I want to run to too. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, just send us your recommendations of new music and we will listen and review. Oh, will we? <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, it's been great. It has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, thank you for this season because I couldn't have gotten. It's been this a tough. It's been out. tough to manage this season, but yeah. we've got through it. We have. 
um, yeah, looking forward to the next season, whenever that may be. Yeah, bit of a break, and then we will be back in your ears, but I cannot give you a time frame, <laughs> because... We don't know, man. Exactly, man. All right, guys, well, take care, and... Get vaccinated. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.